Hey guys, this is Miles Anthony, the founder and CEO of Decentral Games, the creators of Ice Poker. We've populated the metaverse with 12,000 daily active players and counting. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast you can bet on for great intel in the metaverse and beyond. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how today's guests and Ice Poker are straight up populating Decentraland, basically on their own. And why a dev team combo is the highlight of today's guest week. And now the NFT market is continuing to explode with no signs stopping. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Miles Anthony, CEO and founder of Decentral Games, the platform that builds games that reward you to play. Decentral Games builds Ice Poker, a metaverse-native EV-positive poker game that gives players economic freedom through self-custody and delegation of wearables. DG is responsible for roughly 60% of all traffic to Decentraland, boasts the largest numbers for any metaverse game, and is the number one NFT project on Polygon's network. Congratulations for all that, Miles, and thanks for joining us here on Edge of NFT. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, way to turn up the volume in Decentraland, man. It's a party over there because of you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's been great to see so many concurrents. I think we've been following the project pretty closely since their ICO in 2017. And even when they launched in 2020, it was pretty much deserted. And so with our content, we wanted to just basically fill up the metaverse because it's inherently supposed to be a social experience. And so that's kind of like where thinking was when we build ice poker and other games yeah man i think there's a lot of that in the metaverse right now but it's coming right it's coming down the pike in a big way but let's back up even a little bit further man like for our listeners give us a little bit of background on you like tell us a bit about your journey and how it led you to dg that's a good question so yeah my first venture was just e-commerce business started when i was at school at ucla got kind of more involved in crypto in 2016 2017 realized that it was just inevitable that it would become a larger and larger part of just technological innovation. And so made the kind of the jump towards crypto in 2017, experienced the whole kind of ICO boom, was more in it for like an investor angle. But then once I started building different applications using you know Ethereum and other platforms, like more recently Polygon, I just realized that it was a lot more fun to actually build things. So yeah, we started DG early 2019. It was after having like kind of tracked Decentraland's growth, participating in the sales of the tokens, participating in the land sales and auctions. And we kind of just realized that the metaverse was something that was just inevitable. It's, it was just going to grow. At some point, it was just a matter of time. And so we wanted to be one of the first actual games in the metaverse that was able to populate it. So that's kind of how we started DG, started building just simple games, built several different games like slots, roulette, blackjack, backgammon. But more recently, we really found really solid product market fit with poker, more specifically play to earn, you know, free play poker. 
because it's not technically wagering. You know, it's based on NFT ownership. We can obviously get into that a bit more in detail later on this pod, but that was really the turning point for the project is Dice Poker, I'd say. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how the metaverse has been criticized for being a little bit sleepy, if you will. And certainly you guys have sort of turned the tables with iSpoke's virtual casino and keeping things quite busy over there. How did the actual concept for Ice Poker come to be? How did that sort of come out of the wash, if you will, in terms of the project that you guys bet on? I'll try not to use any more puns the rest of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, so we were kind of just thinking we wanted it to be free play just so it's accessible for anyone in any jurisdiction. It's not limited to specific jurisdictions based on wagering laws. And so starting from that angle, obviously when people play free play poker with Benzinga poker, these other sites, it's not as real of poker. And so we wanted to add some token incentives so that people actually were incentivized to play well, even though they were betting free play chips, non-transferable worthless chips. And so that's kind of was the thinking originally around ice poker and kind of inspired by a lot of other play and earn games at the time, you know, actually being one of them. We wanted to tie it to like these kind of daily quests, daily challenges, so that if you achieve them kind of just by grinding and playing a decent amount of poker, then you'd be able to earn tokens. But then on top of that, we added a multiplier based on your leaderboard position. And so basically each day, there's like a 24-hour tournament. And so everyone is ranked by their net chips. And so the leaderboard is broken into 20 different tiers. And if you're at the top 5%, then you're earning 2x. And if you're at the bottom 5%, you're earning 0.05x. And so effectively, this delivers a completely EV positive gameplay experience. Everyone earns ice tokens at the end of each day. It's just a matter of if you're earning more or less. So kind of based on your performance. It's a pretty unique tokenomics model. I mean, I don't think I've sort of seen that type of experience before. Yeah, yeah. I kind of tried to combine both. Just the fun of just like playing a game where you're not like losing funds if you lose with also the reward of actual tokens when you're performing well. So yeah, it's a sweet spot. So how do you come up with that? Like, is it market research? Is it models that you're sort of seeing in existence that you're sort of basing it on? And did it take a while to get through like a beta version to kind of work out the kinks and stuff like that? How do you get to those ultimate mechanics? We wrote the white paper for Ice Poker like last summer, kind of towards the end of last summer. This is kind of during the whole wave of Axie Infinity's huge amount of hype that they generated over that time period as well. And so, yeah, I was definitely inspired by a lot of these games that were live. But I feel like poker, obviously, it's highly skill-based. There is an element of, of chance and luck, but it is for a large amount based on skill. And so that's why we really wanted to incorporate the leaderboard system so that it's not like kind of just farming tokens. It's like you actually have to perform. And so that's kind of... As we expand the game and add more layers to the game, we're really trying to make it as skill-based as possible, but still maintain that EV positive nature. Right. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out like how it works. Like what's my strategy hopping in there? You know, I'm not a seasoned poker guy, but it sounds like part of my strategy is going to be like to like maybe grab some poker books and like get my actual strategy together in terms of the actual poker play. But then there's also just kind of, there's some rewards of just sort of being present and practicing that poker play in your environment. Am I getting that right? Like Every time I place a big bet, you should go all in. That'd be what okay. I would recommend. Nice. Josh, Josh is always looking out for me. I always notice that. <laughs> <laughs>
That's funny you bring that up. Yeah. I mean, we've built in native guild tools. Guilds were kind of like, obviously, something, an idea that was growing in popularity towards the end of last year. And we had a few advisors to the project that were heavily involved with guilds or part of guilds. And so we wanted to basically create the tools so that anyone in our community could build their own guilds. We have like native delegation on our site, kind of revenue split between the NFT owner and the player automatically at the end of each day. And so effectively, we've seen a lot of these guilds kind of start their own like poker stable, if you will. It's like they teach their players and educate them on best practices of poker. And so, yeah, we've seen the incentives kind of play out so that they really want their players to perform well. So it's been cool to see. Yeah, it sounds like a man. In the timeframes, I wanted to clarify for the leaderboards, you have different timeframes and different rewards based on those, like, so the winner for a particular day versus week or of all time, like, how does that function work? Right now, we're just giving rewards based on and multipliers based on daily performance. So it's actually you reset every 24 hours. We have leaderboards for the week and the month, but we don't have any prizes for that quite yet. We're going to be adding Mm -hmm. more and more layers to our prize pools. But for now, yeah, it's just nice because if you have a bad day, you get to reset the next day. If you have a good day, you get rewarded immediately for that. So it's been a good like yeah. kind of base model, I would say, but we're definitely looking forward to kind of adding more and more layers on top of the, just the basic ice poker that we've launched and had five for the last three or five and a half months. So right. it's a good starting point. And I guess drawing on some of the best practices that you see in fantasy also, right? Where the daily routine, right? the reset there seems to work pretty well, I think, right? Now, a very specific kind of like, again, poker question here. So online, right, you have a lot of solvers that are in there helping folks play with optimal strategy. Is that something you guys are seeing at all with ICE? Or is that an issue at all? How do you address like solvers and things like that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen people definitely educate their players how to play. Are you kind of referring to just collusion in general? Or oh, like- sorry. I mean, specifically like the tech, like running, using AI uh, to optimize your plays right. in the background. Since it's all digital, you know, and you can't really see exactly what somebody's doing. They'll run right, it through right. actual computers that give you the optimal outcome for each play. Right. Yeah, we haven't yeah. really seen too much of that so far. It's, just, it's kind of hard to build bots to play for you into Decentraland because it's like a 3D mm. environment. But, you know, maybe some folks kind of input the data and use that as a helping tool. Yeah, sometimes podcast hosts might give people like an idea like that, and then it might (laughs) mess with your system or whatever. I don't know how that would happen. (laughs) You know, it's funny. It's it's the evolution of poker, right? Everyone's always looking for an edge, right? And that could be a challenge, right? What other kind of challenges do you think you've experienced operating in the metaverse and decentraland say versus launching just an online poker site like what other challenges are there i would say the main thing is just there's no playbook like there's no one that has really done it before and so you can't really look at someone and see you know and point to like what should be a certain way and what shouldn't but even just like building in the 3d environment like we took inspiration for ice poker from real world poker and online poker because we kind of combined both to deliver the experience that we have in ice poker. And so, yeah, I would say the main difficulty is just not really having anything as a precedent. And I'm um, also just kind of dealing with the technology with Decentraland specifically, you actually, because it's like virtual space, you actually can't crowd like a certain room too much. Otherwise people won't have enough seats to play and just kind of like the same issues you run into in like a brick and mortar poker lounge. And so what ends up happening is you have to break it into different instances of the same 
building. These are called realms and servers and kind of managing that and trying to route players to open realms with open tables is definitely a challenge that you don't really have to deal with when you're just like having a website poker experience. So I would say those are like the two main things. On the flip side, I'm guessing maybe there's some advantages to not having a playbook. You get to write the playbook, maybe people a little bit more forgiving. Anything that comes to mind or are you just like, like, no, this is tough. (laughs) Any advantages of kind of being the first mover there? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's just more fun to build something that hasn't really been done before, I would say. It's just more of a challenge. And obviously, there's things that we've rolled out really flawlessly. There's things that we've taken a little longer to roll out just because we didn't have the playbook. And so, yeah, I think as a result, I mean, most communities in Web3 are pretty forgiving, I would say, just given the fact that most products are in beta. And so even just adding new features, like the community is pretty forgiving. And so they have confidence in our ability to deliver. And sometimes things are quicker or take a little bit more time. Yeah, totally makes sense. So as you're sort of iterating and working to create a more cohesive, stronger bond with your community, how do you improve the player ownership percentage by incentivizing stacking wearables? It sounds like this is something you guys are are tackling as you move forward. That's been like a huge point of discussion recently, and especially in the last like two weeks, three weeks within the community is we actually have a pretty large amount of guild owners in the community that just delegate the wearables out and the players that play with them are like renting. So they're actually not a player owner. And part of our entire kind of pitch, kind of like the backbone of our economy is this idea of upward mobility. And so it's kind of going from delegated player. Like if you get receive delegation, you can play with an asset that's not yours and have a revenue split between you and the owner. Then moving up the ranks to player owner, someone who owns their asset, earns 100% of the rewards, doesn't have to split it with the owner because they are the owner. And then guild owner, so someone who owns several assets and then rents some of them out to others. And so it was economically, and it still is economically best to just delegate one wearable per player. But we've been kind of working with the community on a few governance proposals around basically incentivizing people to stack their wearables and so this way you're able to like boost your rewards because you actually can wear up to five wearables at a time. And if you wear five, then you can earn considerable amount more tokens than if you just use one. Right now, it's not enough, I would say, to actually incentivize that. But I think we're implementing it within the next few days. And so I think like we'll see a lot more folks actually just stack the wearables, play with five, and like secure those like much higher rewards. So we can hopefully see our player ownership percentage increase a bit from just like the players borrowing assets and guild owners. It'll also make them look a lot cooler with all those different wearables that they're rocking. It's really interesting stuff to kind of see how you guys are kind of daily dealing with these tokenomics issues and kind of how do you design the game and how do things change and how do you incentivize the community? Again, we love it too, like highlighting that it's new. It's interesting. It's something, it's a challenge, right? You don't have a path before you. And I think that's so fun. I mean, despite that, right. And, or maybe because of that, you guys had this success, you do well in this unfamiliar territory, and you're also going to be getting ICE mobile released very soon. When does that happen? And what can people look forward to with that? Yeah. So mobile has been a huge focus for us on top of our metaverse product just because we feel that it'll be a lot more accessible for people. A lot of players 
don't have access to like a computer that can run Decentraland smoothly. And even though they launched their native client, it's still kind of laggy if you don't have like a really advanced computer. And so mobile will be browser-based. So it'll be basically accessible on any device just through the mobile browser. And then it's going to be a PWA, so you can save it to your home screen. This is what we're going to roll out as a proof of concept until we gather a bit of product market fit with that implementation. And then we'll roll out like a native app on the app store. But just to get to market sooner, we're just doing PWA. And I'm thinking we'll probably launch it mid-May. We've just been testing internally now. The game is fully functional. We have like a wardrobe experience. So you can see your avatar still, you can equip wearables, take off wearables. And so right now it's just kind of polishing the gameplay experience is kind of the main focus. Can you remind me what PWA stands for? Some type of web app? Yeah. Progressive web app. Basically it's just like, it's a website that can be run on any, obviously any device with a mobile browser. And then if you save it to your home screen, kind of functions like an app, but you don't have to deal with the politics of the app store. So from that standpoint, it's easier to just go to market sooner with it. Yeah, that's great. Nice, man. So one of the things we've talked about a lot throughout the episode so far is guilds and the importance of it to ICE. And so I want to go a little bit deeper on that and ask like for our listeners that want to get involved, like what do they need to know about the guilds, the guild leagues, and how they can take that step and become involved, earn more and collaborate with people? Yeah, definitely. So guilds from like a macro perspective, they definitely had a huge wave up last year towards the end of the year. And then kind of there's a bit more negative sentiment around them more so this year. But I think they do play an important role. It allows you to, as like an NFT owner, to monetize your asset. That's a yield-bearing asset, but you don't necessarily have the time to like maximize the yield of it. And so a guild kind of setup is just basically pairing the NFT owners that have invested in these assets with the players that have time that are able to play with those assets and earn yield. And so I think the structure itself is just kind of making the, the system more efficient. But I think the main negative sentiment around guilds kind of stem from kind of just this extractive nature of maybe some that have experienced just kind of trying to extract value from the game. But I think most guilds, if they're aligned with the community, I mean, that's kind of like why we wanted to make it so everyone could make their own guild, kind of have a bunch of... So right now we have like 4,000 micro guilds like within our community. We feel that approach is a lot better than kind of having like a few huge ones because if they own too many of your assets in the game, they kind of control the entire economy. And so basically like decentralizing the guild ownership, I, we thought was the right approach to that. But that being said, I think guilds, because they have skin in the game, it's great to see some of them that run like their own marketing campaigns, educational campaigns with educating players on how to play optimally and stuff like that, as opposed to just like farming and dumping all the tokens. So it's good to see like some them play like an active role and being fully aligned with the community. Yeah, man. It's interesting. Oftentimes when I get into conversations with people about what's up with web three or the metaverse, like what's so interesting about it. And a lot of people kind of miss like some of these foundational elements to it. I think what you were just talking about reminds me of this response that I often give folks. And it's that I don't think there's been a moment in history more so than now where somebody can leverage their time and effort to build value, to build wealth, to make a living for themselves, to change their lives, like more so now than ever. We only have so many resources that we can deploy 
you have different forms of capital. You have time, you have your effort, you have your knowledge, your relationships, and money, basically, right? And if you're lacking one of those, now more than ever, you can make up for it with the others. And what you're describing with guilds, pros, cons, it's evolving, it's iterating, it, it taps into that. And I think now more than ever, there's that opportunity for people and, and what you're doing just highlights that. So I think it's very, very cool. 100%. Yeah, it's just like the more specialization of labor. Uh, it's like, if you can contribute one thing and kind of exchange that value with someone else, it contributes another area. It just makes for a more efficient like economic system. By design, I think they were inevitable because you know people have money and no time, people have time and no money. And so it just made sense to kind of build this structure. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Axie Infinity, one of the, of course, big guns in the space. It was so cool to have Geo at NFTLA along with you guys. What other projects in the space have been inspiring to you and continue to inspire you? I would say like Axie definitely has been the biggest one, I would say, just because the amount of scale they were able to achieve and the, just like kind of turning the entire industry on its head blockchain gaming was like pretty tiny before them. And so there's been several other games that have popped up kind of like working off like the Axie's original model. But I would say that Axie really has been the main one that has just kind of acted as a benchmark and kind of even just with like not only the game and the reward structure, but also how they're looking at like in-game assets and then also how they kind of dealt with guilds because they actually didn't even build any guild tooling native. They allow third parties to build that. And that was an interesting decision on their part. And they kind of focus more on the building a side chain, kind of blockchain infrastructure as well, which was kind of an interesting thing to see. Whereas like we're kind of mainly just focused on building the game and building layers upon the game and kind of just using like an external blockchain like Polygon. Right on. Yeah, brother. So much goodness here. So much more to come, I think, as we start to head deeper into 2022 and beyond. I really appreciate you sharing all of it with us. And uh, we'll be watching real closely as everything evolves. I'm trying not to go too deep into ice poker because we get sucked in like me and Josh tend to do with poker games in general. Hey there, NFT Space Cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, L.A., let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. 
Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We wanted to shift gears a little bit, man, and get your perspective on a series of 10 questions that we ask everybody, man. They're called edge quick hitters, basically a fun, quick way to get to know you a little bit better. What we're looking for is short single word or few word responses, but we may dive in here or there to learn a little bit more. You ready to jump in on these? Yeah, yeah. I'm got them up here. All right. <laughs> There's some yeah. hesitation there, bro. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we got them up. <laughs> All right, cool. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think it must have been collectibles, like baseball cards when I was really young. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably makes sense. Probably. Yeah. Do you have the one that got away? Or the million that got away, the card that you wish you held on to or something like that? Oh, I honestly, I think they must just be in like a closet somewhere. I don't think I sold many of them, but yeah, I think they must be just sitting somewhere. Nice. Question number two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Must have been either like a lemonade stand type of thing or cookies. I remember just when I was young, I would try to start like many businesses like that. So I would say Mm. this is like going way back though. Wow. I haven't thought about this in (laughs) quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. It all starts to make sense where you draw these inspirations from. Question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? NFT. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A nice (laughs) surprising. (laughs) Oh, cool. Question four, what's the most recent thing you sold? If you count for as DG, we've, done drops with wearables, but I don't think I've sold anything in a while. Maybe a bit a couple of weeks ago when they just announced that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Solid. All right. Great. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? I would say other than my DG tokens, like probably my CryptoPunk. Mm, yeah. Nice, man. Solid. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience, it's currently for sale. What would it be? What do you have your eye on? That's an interesting one. Maybe just like some real world assets. All my assets are virtual. So something just like tangible at some point would be good to diversify into. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. A little real estate in Venice. What's up? Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice, man. You happen to have like an ape floating around back there? Yeah, I got to think if you were paying attention to the punks, right? Oh, yeah. Loop or I was pretty early to the punks, like 14 months ago or something. But I totally missed the ape train. Like a lot of my buddies like all got in early yeah. on that, like underneath. But yeah, I unfortunately passed on that one. I know. Same it. here, man. We yeah, it was like circling all around us. It was like just one step in the right direction would have been an easy pull, right? But not to yeah. be all good. All right. Yeah. Shift gears a little bit here. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? From a personal standpoint, I would say kind of the main thing I've been really focusing on personally is just like progress recently. Just like a constant drive for progress in pretty much every area work, personal, et cetera. 
Yeah. I think it's, if you're constantly improving, then you, uh, I would say it causes happiness for me. Does that, um, you've been building something massive and I'm sure dealing with a lot of pulls on your time and attention at all hours of the day, does health and wellness fit into that mix for you? And like, have you been trying to address the whole web three burnout thing? Yeah, it's definitely real. I would say, especially since we launched ice poker like five and a half months ago, it's just been a constant grind. And before that, I was going to lots of conferences. Yeah, like we did NFT NYC and then NFT LA. But for the most part, since we launched Ice Poker, I haven't been too many. It was actually do, I was, we were doing more like last year. And yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of work, and I just think it's worth it. But you're right, though. Like health and wellness is definitely something that you should keep an eye on. I try to get to the gym, get massages and stuff to kind of unwind. But it's tough when you're just like in the weeds every day. Yeah. As I'm sure you guys know. All right. I'll tell you one of my new hacks offline. It's a Venice spot that you're going to want to check out. Okay. All right. Right on. All right. Moving on. Question number eight. Flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Hmm. I would say the only thing I ever regret in crypto and Web3 in general is selling. (laughs) I'd say like, I mean, obviously I regret not buying like uh, apes. There's certain NFTs that I let go of like way too early. That's the one thing. You're going to regret that in me, but that's what I'm. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> keeping the faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's hard to do that, man. Uh, only right one, on. So have a few others. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. what I figured. It's still, yeah. I still like the memes. <laughs> cool, man. Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I just had a call with the team. They're at the HQ in Venice today and some called in some in person. So it's awesome to get some FaceTime with the DG team, especially the product team, because it's like more creative juices flowing, you know, working on some of the new features that we got coming soon for Ice Poker. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's fun. Did you guys, um, how did you, how did you get that dev team together, man? Well, we started like three years ago. So it's been quite a while. More recently, we've made some pretty big hires from guy from Amazon, guy from Facebook, guy from Nike, like head mm-hmm. of product. And we actually have another big hire we're announcing next week too. Pretty solid, big role. And so, yeah. yeah, more recently with the momentum of Ice Poker, it's been very apparent that we just need to keep expanding the team yeah. and have a bit more specialization, especially in like certain areas that we've kind of overlooked because we we're just more focused on product and engineering. But, yeah. but yeah, it's been great. And it's nice to have people nearby so you can actually meet up and get the creative juices flowing in person. Totally. Yeah. And to have a company folks are drawn to, right. Have that demand to come right. work with you. You know, that's great, man. Very cool. Definitely. All right. Last question. Question 10, brother. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Got a few more calls and I go for a walk, get some fresh air. I haven't been out of the cave in a couple of days. So <laughs> all right. Yeah. Get out there, brother, and do it. Well, that's quick hitters, man. That's all 10. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for indulging us a little bit, man. Yeah. All right. Well, word on the street, Ethan, is that we have some shout outs to give to a couple different folks out there. You want to kick this thing off? Yeah, totally. It's always fun to highlight members of the community. Today, I want to call out a guy named Kyle Schember, who Josh and I first encountered in a party in Los Angeles that was NFT focused. Actually, I think it was Jesse Tevelo's praise party. 
I ran into him a few times at NFTLA as well as various places and times throughout the year. It's always a pleasure. He's a Spirit Seed holder, so he's super invested in us. I saw him at the Spirit Seed dinner that we hosted before NFTLA, doing all sorts of cool things in NFTs and space travel, including collaborations with SpaceX. And I'll give a shout out to his project. He's the CEO of Subtractive. It's a 17-year-old creative company that produces content for theatrical broadcasts, web, video games, retail, live events, collective talented-driven and like-minded individuals. They focus on expansion of emerging culture where music, art, and technology uh, converge. Of course, NFTs is a very clear place where they're going. The company nurtures and supports new hybrid forms of artistic expression, gives them a platform to be seen, heard, and experienced, seen, heard, and experienced. They specialize in integration of art, music, aerospace into Web 3.0, NFTs, crypto, photo, hologram. A couple projects they have, CryptoPause.io. They have the Muttnix NFTs. And I encourage you to check it out. It's really fun. And they also have a project that benefits St. Jude and collaborates with SpaceX, another NFT project. So very cool stuff going on with Kyle. And I think I'll hand it off maybe to Josh for another listener shout out or, or sort of community shout out. What do you got for us, Josh? Yeah, yeah this is really cool. Some guys that entered the uh, Spirit Seat community before NFTLA, Andrew Berkowitz and Justin Markell over at Social Stack. So first, they just got an opportunity, an invite to speak at Forbes 30 Under Summit, which is super cool. And they got a mention in a cool article about Bloomberg. So they're actually working with a Kenyan photojournalist, Mohamed Ami, on an NFT project that's going to raise awareness and $250,000 in startup funds to archive African cultural work in history. So this is really cool, guys. So Mohamed, for decades has been documenting the wars and coups that have come to the rise and fall of many African leaders, as well as the continent's cultures, flora, fauna, you name it. So funding is going to be used to both preserve African history and teach people around the continent how to archive, which is an important process of sort of keeping records of all these things that occurred. And Andrew and Muhammad are co-creating a decentralized autonomous organization. We call it a DAO. They call it the Afro Future DAO, which aims to support African NFT artists by commissioning them for work and offering them a platform for distribution. And part of the profit from that venture will also be used to preserve the continent's historical artifacts. So definitely a double-sided, super benevolent social impact project and love what they're doing over there. Awesome. Great, man. Yeah, and I threw that out there. Sorry, I threw you a little curveball. Normally we do that after hot topics, but word is we do have a couple of hot topics and I think we should jump in on those. Yeah, totally. Let's hit it. So first hot topic, global NFT trading volume grows over 200% in 2022, surpassing 50 billion. The total volume trading NFTs has recently exceeded 18 million ETH or 54 billion in aggregate value. Specifically, Into the Blocks year-to-date chart shows that global trading volume of NFTs grew from 16.94 billion on January 1st to 54.58 billion on April 17th, which is an increase of 222% since the year's turn. So, of course, we're seeing there's a lot of interest in NFTs. I found this article a little bit interesting as to its framing, but we'd love to hear your guys' opinion on this one. Dude, uh, so. This is, I think, historical, right? Trading volume, right? That they're talking about here. So it's 200% in just a few months. 
relative to the history of trading in NFTs, to me, it's just another signal among many that NFTs are the building blocks of the metaverse and what's happening here in the future. I think that at some point, it's just going to be ubiquitous. NFTs or the next iteration of them are what will be at that foundation. It's what makes all these digital assets tradable and immutable and trackable and all the fun things that are related to it, modifiable, programmable, all this good stuff, right? So it just to me, it's just like, looks like another signal of the future and that the train has already left the station on this. I'm Googling to see where predictions fell out in 2021. And I know we talked about it at that moment. I think a lot of the predictions were short of this volume. I think there was more in the 20 to 30, 35 billion range for the year. So I think that the rate of growth appears to be higher if these numbers are accurate than what was predicted. What's your take, Miles? Yeah, it's been wild to see the growth for sure in terms of just volume. But if you just look at the amount of monthly active users OpenSea has, I just pulled it up. It says on DAP radar, like 369,000 monthly actives that have traded our wallets, I guess, which is pretty tiny compared to the population of a country like the US or the world. And so it is pretty wild to even think like how big the potential market share is, market sizes once you know most people become familiar with digital assets. So I think even though these numbers are pretty impressive, I think it's really just the beginning of you know a lot more than 50 billion. Yeah, right. Like that's like the size of like a decent sized public company that's maybe in that realm of tech up and coming leaders, right? Um, yeah. Good size single company. This is the entire freaking market so early, right? So early. Totally agree. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. The one thing I was unclear about, I'm trying to look over the article. It's, it's a relatively short one, but I think they're, t- yes, they're talking about sort of cumulative volume for 2022. Then they were sort of comparing it to, I think, cumulative for January. So I mean, clearly the NFT trading has grown pretty rapidly. So a little bit confused about how they're comparing January to April and exactly how that works, but it's not necessarily monthly trading volume, but I think the point is clear here that things are growing no matter what the rates are changing over time. And it's really interesting just to see what the new projects that are coming on board and the ones that people are excited about. All right. So next article up for the speaking about is why Jack Dorsey's first tweet NFT plummeted 99% in value in a year. (laughs) So we actually spoke about this on a recent episode and the kind of exorbitant price point somebody put on it for auction. December 2020, Jack Dorsey created a non-fungible token out of his first ever Twitter post, turned a static image of a five-word tweet into a digital file stored on the blockchain, voila, and NFT was born. Uh, a few months later, the image sold for a stunning $2.9 billion. Yet in an auction this past week, no one bid more than $280 for it, apparently. And even current bids on OpenSea only amount to about $10,000 US. That's a 99% drop in value. Ooh, okay. Well, I don't know what to say about that one. Any thoughts? Well, we talked about it the last episode and none of us were willing to, put, to sort of pay the price for it, I think. 
there's something interesting happening here at the intersection of all the Elon Musk stuff with Twitter, free speech, like the direction that we're going with blockchain just overall and the freedoms that we're looking for just in the DNA of what's happening in blockchain and metaverse and everything. So I think it's interesting that said, like, yeah, dude, pay. I don't know what the reserve is on the auction or whatever. I think it's up to maybe like 30,000 now if you check out that link, but it's going to be valuable, man. I think somebody will want it. That's the first tweet ever on Twitter. I don't see Twitter going away. I see it evolving and taking different forms. More and more, it's like the place to have combos within the realm of blockchain, crypto, and so on and so forth. So I think it is valuable that it came from Jack Dorsey. And maybe people are viewing him differently than, say, like an Elon Musk that may or may not ultimately have control over that. I don't think is as relevant in the long term as just the reality. This is the actual first tweet that ever happened. And that's pretty cool. Well, look, Dorsey's been a little bit critical of Twitter's board in response to how they're treating Elon the last few days. So maybe he's trying to earn some goodwill to get some residual royalties on his tweet. If he can pump that up, maybe that's his secret mission. Or maybe Elon will do this guy a service and snatch up this tweet after he takes over Twitter. So um, dude, I have to say, did you guys see the Rogan episode when Dorsey was on there with Joe Rogan? And he had, it was like head of like policy or whatever on there with him. I think there some parts of that. Yeah. Did you see that? It was really interesting to me because first, I think, I don't think that Jack Dorsey was necessarily like all about censorship or anything at all. And in fact, it seemed like very much so he had very little to do with the company's policies around it, that it was more of this living, breathing thing that was happening outside of his oversight and purview, like very little influence on. I thought that was just interesting for such a large organization. And I've kind of heard bits and pieces of that from other companies too, like Facebook or Spotify, for example, where there's different controversies and things like that. It's just interesting to me how they become like these living and breathing entities that have less and less to do with the founders and or the CEOs. That's what it seemed like at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. And actually it's interesting contrast, right? Between the Elon's actions and right what you're proposing, mm. right? Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. this idea of a founder that's just going to make bold decisions and nobody else gets to weigh in on it all and like throw billions of dollars at something and kind of like force things to be. I don't know that you want like founders <laughs> like that. I mean, Elon's maybe a special case, but you kind of want somebody who's weighing in on various opinions and yeah. bringing various pieces into the equation. Yeah. I don't know, Uh, Miles, you might be in a spot like this really soon. You probably already are thinking about that stuff, right? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's been interesting kind of seeing like how that all unravels. I think in this scenario, though, it's like this article kind of makes it out to be kind of like a publicity stunt for the NFT or the owner of the NFT. But yeah, I think just like the minimum amount of bids for this just kind of shows that people just don't think it's culturally significant at the moment. Maybe they're wrong, but... It also mentions, meanwhile, like board apes are like all-time high or mm-hmm. close to all-time high, as people think that's a lot more culturally significant. So it's interesting. I have to look up the original sale too, because I mean, I believe it was one of these things that were sold with a huge charity or maybe entire charity component, right? And there's something, an interesting playing out of events when you initially auction something off for a charity cause, and then moving on forward, it just becomes like an asset that trades for so it's in its inherent value. And I don't know. I don't know what the historical case is for objects and items like that, right? Do they retain their inherent value after the initial funds are deployed towards like a charity or, or not? I don't know. Hard to say, uh, man. 
I All guess right. We'll, time will tell. Time will tell <laughs> until Elon tells us otherwise. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's hot topics. Yeah. For the day. That's it. That's cool, man. Well, I think that's a wrap for the bulk of the episode, Miles. So great chatting with you, man. If folks want to follow you and all the goodness that's happening at Decentral Games, like where should they go, man? We update our Twitter pretty regularly, my personal and DGs. So just slash Decentral Games or slash Zero X Miles. And if you want to find out more info about Decentral Games, you can just go to the website as well. So Decentral.Games. And then I put out like a newsletter every Sunday. So just the dev <laughs> updates. Basically, what we worked on last week, what we have this week, any kind of big announcements that we have coming up. So you can find that on our site as well. Nice. Love the transparency, dude. That's great. Very cool. And word on the street is we got a little giveaway as well. Want to describe a little bit of what's at stake here? Yeah. Yeah. So we've allocated one ice wearable. So basically, just this wearable gives you access to ice poker, gives you the ability to play the game we discussed earlier on the pod start earning ice tokens yeah. each day and compete in the daily tournaments. So yeah, Beautiful. looking forward to giving well, that away. What are those going for in the market these days? Right now, I think the floor is around 0.7 on OpenSea. It's a Polygon NFT though. So heads yeah. up. Sweet. Well, we appreciate it, man. Very grateful for that. So listeners, please keep your eyes peeled on our socials. We'll give you the details on that and we'll release that here very soon. So thank you again, Miles, for that. All right, guys. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective with deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.